Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Do me a favor, let's welcome everybody in Montgomeryville as well. It's good to be with you, joining us online as well, man. We're glad that you made your way to church today. We're jumping right in uh, to this mini-series we started by accident a few weeks ago on the Ten Commandments. I, my, my intention was, I'm going to give one week to the Ten Commandments, we're going to move on to something more interesting. And uh, I ended up on the first four and realized, okay, then I got to go another week, Reali- realized that was not going to be enough. I was like, this is a three-week sermon series, and I told you three weeks ago, if you weren't here, I said, what if, what if the laws aren't laws? What if they're actually a, a roadmap to li- living a liberated life? Because it wasn't like God said, here, do these things, and then I'll love you. He had already rescued his people, and they were on the way to the promised land. And so it was almost like God was saying, here's how you're going to keep this thing right. And I noticed it was all about relationships. And so it started first with, with God. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, the Sabbath, no idols, you love, love me, serve me. It's, it's about pointing your life, your affirmation, your affection in the direction where security and confidence comes from. Get that one right, and every other relationship will, will be better, right? And so last week we noticed, week number two, family relationships. Uh, honor your parents, don't murder don't commit adultery, right? And I told you, I think it was interesting. Murder was put in between those because murder in the Bible, Jesus said, is like hate. So a lot of us will have, have struggles with our, with our hate, our bitterness towards both our parents and our spouse. And when you get the relationship with God right, you live under grace and you, you give grace. You're just a reflection of what God has given you. And today I want to end with the last three. I want to talk about uh, relationships with friends, which is interesting because studies suggest we don't have any. Like they, they did a poll of uh, millennials. How many of you are millennials? We're millennials, right? And so uh, they polled millennials. And, and technically, I think I still make it. I'm like the, the last year to being a millennial. My youngest son calls me boomer all the time. And I'm like, I'm far away from that, right? Far away from that. And so there's a few generations, degenerate generations between the boomers and the millennials, right? And so I was far, far away from that. But the millennial generation, they polled them, right? Because the millennial generation grew up around social media. Like literally your life, I'll, I'll talk to staff members, I'm like, your entire life has been, since you remember, social media. Like there was a time when you didn't know when somebody, what well, somebody's cat did. There was a time when you, you didn't put your product online. There was a time you didn't take before and after pictures of, of yourself. There was a time people were normal, right? And you've lived your entire life like that and you're connected and they polled millennials and they asked millennials, how are your friendships? The article actually was titled, All the Followers, None of the Friends. And what was interesting is 27% of millennials polled, of the 1,200 people that were polled, something like that, they said they have no close friends, not, not, not one close friend. 25% say I have some acquaintances. One in five says they have nobody at all. Like they're, they're just discontent. A third of 20 to 30-somethings reported feeling lonely often or always. Almost 20% more than Generation X and 15% more than boomers. Like you have this, this generation that's grown up connected, yet they feel, feel apart. And we're, we're, if we're honest, we're not really that good at relationships. So I started to ponder that thought and I, I stumbled upon a verse in the Bible and I want you to take note of a few words in it and understand where I'm going. But James chapter three says this, watch what he says. For where there is envy and selfish ambition... 
there you find disorder in every evil practice. And, and I looked at those words, envy, selfish ambition. Can you bring that up one more time for me? Envy, so, like there's good things that happen on social media. There's also really bad things. And if you were to say to me, use some adjectives to describe the negative impacts of social media, guess what they would be? They increase envy and they're built around selfish ambition. Envy, that person's at the beach, why well, I'm not at the beach. Why don't I have a wife that looks like that? Why don't my kids keep my house clean like that? Why don't I have that many likes? I want what they have, selfish ambition. Do you see what I did? Do you like it? Do you care? Right? Quick, let me take a set. Like, I don't think there was a jet, like 100 years ago, they were like, someday people are going to take pictures of themselves. <laughs> we're perfect, like selfish ambition and envy there, right? Disorder. Selfish ambition and envy are the root of most of our problems when it comes to friendship. We've grown up in a culture where, where this is almost the foundation of who we are, envy and selfish ambition. Is it a surprise that we struggle with friendships? You see it in scripture. There's an example, my, my, a classic example. Jesus has 12 disciples and uh, they're not all perfect. None of them are actually. There's some ragtag bunch. One of them betrays Jesus. And Peter and John, they're kind of upper level if there was a pyramid they'd be at the top right like uh, and they were kind of the inner circle of jesus jesus group and they had problems with each other like if you read read scripture and you read into it and you are reading it not just fast and memorizing but you're reading into the story you'll notice that there's a lot of envy and selfish ambition in the ranks of peter and john his disciples you see peter's mom asking jesus to give peter a seat uh, of importance on the right or the left in front of the 10 other disciples they're angry john's calling himself the disciple whom jesus loved right peter's a fisherman peter's listening to metallica john's listening to justin bieber it's a christian album right I mean, they're, they're different dudes. Peter, Peter is in a camper somewhere, you know, in the, in, on the mountains. John is at the Hampton Inn, right? Because they have a continental breakfast. These guys, are, these guys are different guys. Like, they have problems. John writes about the story when they go to the tomb, when, G, when they heard Jesus was gone. And in the story of the resurrection, where he's letting people know that Jesus, the Son of God, has risen from the dead, that it's Jesus alone that can save you. Side note, I want you to remember thousands of years later, I beat Peter to the tomb. He's the one that lets everybody know. Every other gospel keeps the name of the, of the I think, the disciple quiet who chops off the ear of, of the man when they come to get Jesus. You know what apostle lets us know, disciple lets us know the name? John. Peter did it. I mean, they got issues. I have to believe that Peter and John, when Jesus was like, we're going to build the church. Not with this dude. Not with this dude. And they have this, this envy, this selfish ambition in their life, even to the point when Jesus goes to the cross. But here's what's so cool. Jesus then comes back. He restores Peter because Peter denied him three times. He tells them to go wait into the upper room in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to fill you with the presence. This is the principle of the, of the Ten Commandments, by the way. You get your relationship with God right, and every other relationship is influenced by it. The, 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 the Holy Spirit comes, fills up Peter, fills up John in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 4, listen to what it says just real quickly. Watch this. It says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to who? Peter and who? John while they were preaching together. Of all the people that could preach together, John and Peter are tag teaming a message. 
You killed that, Peter. Good job, John. Something has changed. They're no longer in competition. They are secure and confident in who they are in Christ through being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the principle in the Ten Commandments. You get your relationship with God right, and your relationship on this earth are changed because you're filled with the presence of God. And I want to show you this in, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, the last three. Watch what it says, because it's all about relationships, friendships. No, no, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 15 says, you shall not, you shall not steal. You, you, you shall, not, shall not steal, right? You shall not, number verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. First thing you're going to do, you're not going to steal. The second thing you're going to do is you're not going to lie or gossip. We don't talk about that enough at church, by the way. We talk about all sorts of things at church. We don't talk about two things. Two things are off limits church people, gluttony and gossip. Right? We overeat, we overtalk. The Bible's really clear you're going to give an account for every word that you speak. Every word. We gossip. The Bible says, do not give false testimony. Somebody says, it's true, right? And so, shall not covet your neighbor's house. Last one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. I want to show you three principles, three things that I, I want to develop in my life. This is not a sermon for you to look for in people, Right? Because oftentimes you take a sermon, like, okay, this is the type of friends that I'm going to find. I'm going to hunt these down. This is the type of sermon where you go, okay, I'm going to apply this to my life. I live by one principle. It's the golden rule I apply to all of my life. Be what you want to see. You become what you want to see. If you don't like what you're seeing, change what you're doing, right? Raise your expectations. They create a different reality. Like uh, this, this is like sowing and, and reaping. These are, these are, this, this, is, this is the Bible principle, right? And so I want to give you a few ways to uh, apply this part of the, the Ten Commandments to your life as I put three qualities of a God-fitting friend. And I know that's not a word, but that's confidence in God put together. That's creative. Thank you. And I can make it up because it's on the pastor. He can make up whatever you want. That's what happens. You meet God, you get confidence, you're a better, you're a better friend. Because listen, the reason that you're not a good friend is because you're insecure. The reason you're not a good friend is because you have yet to figure out you are one of one. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, not this person, not that person, the author and perfecter of your faith. You are in competition with nobody. You are running your race. One of one, right? And so here's, here's what you do in, in, in that, understanding how to be a good friend. Number one is this, is I want to develop the ability to add capital to people's lives. I want to add capital to people's lives. You can either make people's lives better or you can make them worse. You can either be a burden or you can be a blessing. You're either investing or, or you're taking away, right? Like, you know this if you have kids, you know this in, in every sense of the mean. You either make something better or you make it worse. And as a friend, I want to have the ability in my life to add capital. And that goes with, with number, number seven, number eight, do not steal, right? So you're like, I don't steal. I haven't stolen anything since I was 13, talking about myself. I stole a lot of things between the age 12 and 13. I was needed Jesus, right? And I remember when I was, when I was younger, when I would steal, I never thought to myself, I wonder if this is making it harder on this person for them to succeed in business. I, I wonder if, if this is a burden in this building. I just took it. I told you last week I got a dino bike given to me a, 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 a few weeks ago. I used to use that dino bike. This is, this is the gospel not affecting you at all. 
and use it to drive to the store to steal the things from this store and go back to my house. That's, that's ironic right there, right? And I remember as I was stealing, I never thought to myself, I wonder if this is adding value. I don't think we do this enough in our relationships. I wonder if wherever I go, I add value, I add capital. Because the truth is, if you're not careful, we all steal. You steal energy from people. You steal time from people by talking too much about yourself. You steal the spotlight from people. When, when, when somebody's going through something that's difficult, you steal their moment to need support by telling them about what you need supported. The butt moments. Yeah, but I've been through that. I got through it. You'll be fine. We steal all the time, right? And actually, I, I looked up the word steal, the definition, and there's all different things. Like, uh, but the one said to make oneself the focus of. To steal is to make oneself the focus of. I read an article this week by, by, a, by a doctor, and he said that he found that the biggest energy drain on many of his patients, guess what it was? Relationships. In fact, he came up with the term, and I'm not, I'm not sure that he, that he invented it, but in his thing, and we've heard it before, uh, he called them relational vampires. You come into somebody's life, and you suck. That's it. And so... <laughs> You just suck the life out of them. You suck the energy. You, 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 you suck their emotion. They, they, like, here's how you know you've been around an emotional vampire. In the first service, I started reading these, and somebody goes, that's my sister. I was like, that was out loud. <laughs> you said that out loud. So don't, right? Don't say nothing. Just like, here's how you know you've been around an emotional vampire. Your eyelids are heavy, and you feel ready for a nap when you're done with them. Your moods take a nosedive. You want to binge on carbs or comfort foods. You feel anxious, depressed, or negative. You feel put down. You've been with an emotional vampire that's stealing your energy. And all of us would probably say, I got somebody like that in my life. I wonder if you're self-aware enough to realize that many of you are to other people. Here's how you know you're an emotional vampire. You're often cynical with friends. In other words, you never see anything positive, a.k.a. you're from Philadelphia. <laughs> and my kids are already like, why do our sports teams stink? I'm like, we won the Super Bowl four years ago, boy. Like, what do you mean we, what do you mean we stink? We could be from Cleveland, right? You're cynical. You always see that the, the glass is half, half empty. You often dominate discussions with other people. So you're talking all, all the time, which by the way, I'm a professional communicator. So what do you think I do when I'm with people? Over talk, which is a sign of insecurity and pride, right? You focus conversations on yourself a lot. And even when they're not about you, you bring them back to you. You're often critical of others and people don't want to be around you. You're like, I don't know why nobody likes me because you suck the life out of people. You either can give or you can take. You either can add or you can subtract. And so I want to be the type of person that adds capital. That's a business term. It's when you invest in somebody's life, when you put some skin in the game of somebody's life, when you think less of yourself and more of them believing in them. I'm going to add capital to their lives. I thought of a few ways you can add capital to people's lives as a, as a friend. One, I was like, man, you're helpful, right? Like, you're really helpful. I started thinking about some of my friends and I was, if I think about this, like a friend that adds capital, that would be, that'd be my buddy Ian. In fact, Ian that preaches up here, uh, he'll, add, he'll end every conversation. You can ask any staff member, person in his life, every conversation that you end with him on the phone, he'll say, let me know if you need anything. But it's not like that, let me know if you need anything, like I'm not going to do anything for you, let me know. <laughs> or when Christians say, you know, I'm praying for you. Like, well, let's just pray now. Well, not, we don't, whoa, 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 right? We don't do that. 
right? He's the type of friend that just, in fact, I went on a vacation a few, few, few weeks ago. I was gone for two weeks, and so my, my grass is significantly important to me. And so I was like, I gotta get this mowed. I can't be having raggedy grass when I'm away. And so I'm in a secret competition with all of my neighbors. Uh, and, and so I hired this company that he mows a few lawns. I hired him for one week, but then I was gone the next week too, and it rained a lot. And I came home early because two weeks is too long for family vacation. Can I get it? Amen. amen. And so I came home a few days early. I love my family, but we needed to be home. And uh, we got home, first thing I want to do, what is it? I want to mow the grass. I get out and inspect. I had put some grass seed down. It was growing in beautifully. I'm mowing the grass. And as I'm on the front of my grass, guess who pulls up? Ian Guido. He has his truck. He has his, his trailer. He has a zero-turn tractor, which we're going to talk about coveting. That's there, right? I don't got that. And uh, I'm mowing. And I'm like, what are you doing? We live 45 minutes away. He's like, I'm here to mow. To which inside of me, I was like, no, you're not. I've seen you drive. Don't touch my grass, right? <laughs> No. But I was like, wait, you drove 45? Why didn't you just call me? He was like, I didn't think you were home. I'm just coming. To, and I'm just like, that. that's a friend that adds value. That's the type of friend that you want to be. I want to add value. Here's another thing friends do. Friends, when, when, when people hurt, you hurt with them. You sit with them. You cry with them. You're down with them. They, you, they lost you. You lose. You hurt with them. You're helpful. You're honest. Oh my gosh, can we just get back to being real with each other? You know why we can't be real with each other? Because for you to be at that level, somebody, you have to put a bunch of investment in the bank so you can make a withdrawal of that magnitude. When you're living at surface level with people, when you're worried all the time through insecurity, you can never be honest. Honesty is significant. I watched an undercover boss yesterday. And it was the under, the boss was from New York and Company. That's a ladies store, right? And so... And they were at one store, and he walked in, and he was like, I'm gonna, today I'm going to be working with the dressing room connoisseur. That was the title, I think. And so, uh, and her job was to be in the dressing room to look at people's outfits, check this out, and give them honest feedback. <laughs> honest feedback. And they were like, it's so important to give honest feedback because we don't want you leaving this place and being bad advertisement for our store. And we also don't want you leaving and somebody saying, oh, who let you walk out like that? So he said, they're honest. Hey, that don't look good. Hey, girl, that don't work, right? We got something better over here. I thought to myself, they figured out that principle. I want friends and I want to be honest with people. I want to contribute to people's lives. Let me just give you two more thoughts. A little, you can come play me out. I want to a little too long. Number two is the capacity to cheer. So the first one is I, I want to make investments, the capital. This one's important. I want to develop the capacity to cheer. And here's why I use the word capacity. Capacity is a purpose-filled leadership term, right? A, increasing your capacity. You, 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 there's things that you think in your life that you can't do. Uh, it, you have everything inside of you to do everything God has called you to do. And so it's, it's not about you not being able to do more, handle more. It's about increasing your, your capacity. It's a principle. Less of you, more, more of him. And, and this one's important because a lot of us, we don't live our lives in the stratosphere of being an encourager, right? In the stratosphere of being somebody who cheers other people on, we actually live our lives as critics. We're just critical. We're, we're, we're gossiping. We're, we're putting people down. That's why he says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shouldn't put them down. You shouldn't talk bad about them. See that house they bought? They probably didn't buy that. They can't afford that. That car, do they really need that car? See their kids? We're, we're con I mean, we're constantly putting each other down. And I want to I ex expand my capacity 
to the point where I'm able to encourage people. You know, that urge to tear somebody down, that's been here since the very first family. Cain and Abel, they, Cain was mad at Abel. You want to tear somebody down at the expense of your, your success. That's why 1 Thessalonians says, encourage one another and build each other up just as you have been, in fact been doing. Encourage one another and build each other up. I'm, I'm an Olympic fan. And I found in the Olympics, you watch things that you don't watch ever, ever, right? Like, as soon as the Olympics is over, you'll be on ESPN, they'll have some sport. Where people on Olympics are like, I'm not watching this, right? But at the Olympics, you watch it. And so 2016, I'll watch watching everything. But I remember uh, one day, women's volleyball was on, like indoor volleyball. And they were, they were doing volleyball. I don't know anything about volleyball. But the one thing I was, I was interested in is when they, would, when they would serve, the point was over, they always come together. It's, it's the, like... You watch NBA games, like you guys, if you're Sixers fans, you remember when Ben Simmons could have dunked and he passed it, right? And you knew right there, he's done. And Beeb's at the top of the lane and they have cameras on him, what did he do? Oh my gosh, right? And you, the body language. They don't do that in volleyball. Like when, the, when, the, when somebody messes up, they're not like, oh, they suck. They come in, they get, they talk, we're going to, do, we're going to be fine, we're going to do this. Or every point they come in, hey, good shot, good, good set. And every point they're coming back and they're encouraging one another and they're going back to their spot. And I just, I watched it, I'm like, man, what if we, what if we had those type of relationships? We are constantly coming to each other and we're encouraging and we're cheering each other on instead of criticizing and gossiping about the other person, which by the way, is just a sign of insecurity. Encouragement is filling someone else's confidence tank to continue as they fulfill their calling in Christ. It's that you can do it. It's that moment in the middle where you feel like giving up and you haven't gotten to where you need to be and somebody comes alongside of you and encourage you along, encourages you along the way. That's the type of friend that I want to be. That's the type of influence I want to have. I've had many of those people in my life to get me to where that I'm at. I was reminded as I was preparing of a relationship that that I have with, a, with, a, with another pastor, um, Pastor Mason from Grace, Grace Assembly of God in Spring City. You don't know the story of Journey Church, but Journey Church it started in 2008 in Limerick, and then, uh, then we moved to Phoenixville, and we started Second Campus, and then we moved everybody to Phoenixville, and then we moved back to Limerick, and here we are, right? And so there's a lot of other details. But when we started that Second Campus, we didn't have no money, no money. We had $20,000 in the bank. You can't start a church with that. But we signed, we signed the papers. And then we called the district, we asked for permission. That's one of the principles of my life. Ask for forgiveness later, right? And so, so we signed a thing. It's in the Bible somewhere. And so we signed, we signed a thing. It's not. Don't send me an email. We signed, signed the paper. And uh, then I called the district. True story. And I said, hey, we, we're going to start a church in Phoenixville. You know what should we do? He said, well, you should probably talk to a couple of local pastors to make sure everything's okay. You don't want to step on anybody's toes. And so I said, what pastor? He said, you need to go talk to Pastor Mason and, and Grace Assembly of God. So Pastor Mason is an old, old man. Now, I'm a young idiot. Now, I remember I was like, this guy's not going to, this guy's not, I'm not going to let him stop what God's doing. You know, I'm going to Acts. No man can stop God's plan for, you know, all this stuff. I got this, this argument, this rebuttal in the back of my, in my pocket, right? It's all written up. I'm going to argue with him. If he says we can't start a church, I'm going to, you know, all this stuff. And I got, I got, this is a true story. I got all these thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm on a level 10. I pull up to his church. We go into this room. There's a few other people there, and we sit down. I had never really met him personally. We, we shook hands, and he said, uh, tell me about what you want to do. I said, I want to start church in Phoenix. So we already signed the contract, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to go. Take the paper out. Give me the list, all this stuff, arguments. And he says, that's great. There are those moments you just need to push it back in. 
He said, that's great. This, this is a long story short. He said, I've been praying for somebody to put a church in Phoenixville. True story. He said, we tried to put a church in Phoenixville with another pastor. He closed. He left $40,000 in the bank. We've been waiting for somebody to start a church so we can give it to him. Can we give you that money? I was like, yeah, you can, right? And that's, that's the cool part. That's how we started. Like, it, you, you didn't have him. We, 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 this won't be here. No doubt. But then every time I would see him, because then when somebody gives you money, you, you know, you, there's a weight to that, a responsibility. Where you're like, I can't close. But when you start something, man, there's, there's a lot of days you just want to close it down. We had a little trailer because we couldn't afford a truck, tire busting open They're on the side of the road of 422 it's an hour to church you got to set it up there's demons in the colonial theater and the electrical system <laughs> throw up i mean it, it, it's cold it's hot it's sweat like it, there's this there was a lot of issues where it felt for a long time like why do we do this and every time i would run into pastor mason every time at the district event, he would pull me in give me a bro hug and he'd say i'm proud of you young man he doubly encouraged me he said he's proud of me and he called me young man I just remember thinking, man, I want, I want to be that type of person to other people. The capacity to cheer other people on. But here's the thing. In order to cheer people on, you got to get rid of your critical spirit. And I don't know about you, but we're from Philadelphia. That is innately put in us. We have a victim mentality. We, can't, we have a hard time with that. I want to be somebody who cheers people on. Let me just give you one more thought. Uh, this, is, this one's really important. The security because this is what God does in your life. He makes you secure. The security to celebrate. So listen, encouragement is with your, your voice, right? You're, rec- you're recognizing uh, somebody doing something good. You're thinking something good. You're saying it. The security to celebrate is a whole new level. How often do we have friends that get something that we think we need, that we wanted, that we go, and then we can't celebrate? We just, I can't celebrate that. Some of you, it's a baby. Some of you, it's a house. Some of you, it's a car. Some of you, it's a job. Some, some of you, it's vacation, a vacation home. We, we find reasons to not like people. And we go, I refuse to celebrate. But the Lord can get you to the, the, the point where you are secure enough to celebrate somebody else's success. That's what he says. Don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, their servants, their ox, their donkey, or anything that belongs. What's the opposite of coveting? Celebrating. Keeping your mind and your eyes in your own lane. Going back to the Olympics real fast, 2016. Michael Phelps is there. Michael Phelps, greatest, greatest Olympian of all time. And uh, 2012, he lost the race. This guy from South America. I don't know his name because his name don't matter, right? And so, but he beat Michael Phelps and then he talked a lot of trash. Like I remember like feeling bat- mad for Michael Phelps. He talked a lot of trash. So it just so happened in 2016, they got to the championship, the finals, and they were in the lanes right beside each other. And you can go watch this. They're, they're, they're getting ready. They're doing the swimming thing and all that stuff that they, I don't know what they do. And so they're stretching out. And uh, Michael Phelps is locked in. Like his, he's locked in. And the dude from South Africa, he's not looking at his lane. You know who he's looking at? He's looking at Phelps. Phelps, he can care less. He's in his own lane. He is the great. He is confident in his ability. He's locked in. This guy is not confident because he knows he got lucky. And he is coveting Michael Phelps' ability and all stuff. And he's, he's looking. And they jump in. And you can look at the pictures when they swim the race. They're coming back. Michael Phelps is ahead of him. He is locked in. He's swimming to the wall. He's not paying attention to the guy from South Africa. You know what the guy from South Africa is doing? He's looking at Michael Phelps the whole time. Some of you live your life like that. You're just, you're just looking, 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 looking at other people 
And I, I just want to, I just want to go back to the understanding. Listen, before you were in your mother's womb, God made you. He crafted you for the foundations of the world. You put your breath in your, in your lungs, the hairs on your head. He knows you. He's given you gifts, talents, and abilities. He's called you to a purpose at this time in history to accomplish something historical. You're one of one. And when you compete with yourself and you run your race, you win. But when you get your eyes off of your lane, you always lose. That's coveting, taking your eyes away from yourself. And what happens in that moment, instead of being excited and celebrating what God is doing in your own life and then being able to look around and go, man, I, God's doing great stuff in your life as well. Let's celebrate. Man, God extend, expanded your level of living. Man, you got a new house. That's amazing. We get bitter. My dad told me one time, he said, Steve, uh, probably not going to have everything. We're pastors. He was like, but good news is you don't have to have everything to enjoy some things. If somebody's going to get a pool someday, you're not going to be able to afford a pool. They're going to get a pool, but they're going to be your friends and let you use the pool. Celebrate it. So maybe get a beach house someday and you can't afford a beach house. They're going to let you use it for free. Celebrate it, right? Here's the cool thing about when you begin to celebrate, right? The, the show me your five closest friends. I'll show you your future. That, that principle, you begin to celebrate. In, in, in celebration, there's success, but celebration also has a way of enriching your life as well. And everybody is increased in that moment. I can tell you from church, this last year of our church, the most incredible year that we've ever had. Came on the heels of the worst three months that you could imagine. Our church dwindled down to nothing when we started last year. And it was worrisome and it was tired. I was tired. I was weary. I didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long this was going to last. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, we made a decision in the summer. Let's not focus on our, our, our own stuff, but let's get involved in somebody else's stuff. Let's celebrate somebody else's success. Let's invest in somebody else's success. And so we did that last summer. Some of you went up to Mosaic and we, we worked all week. I told my entire staff, we're not going to even think about Journey Church. This is God's church. We got a lot of work to do. We're missing a lot of people. We have campuses closed all over the place. Literally nature is taking over some of our buildings. We're going to go up to Mosaic and we're going to help them finish their project and we're going to invest some money and some time and we're going to celebrate and we're going to resource them and this is what we're going to do. And so we did that last summer. We focused on somebody else. We celebrated somebody else. You know what God did this last year? He blessed our church. He enriched our church. We have more people responding to the gospel we've ever had before. We have more giving. I told, I told the first couple, our giving is up substantially year over year. And we are resourced. We're ready to, to do what God is calling us to do and that happens because we celebrated somebody else the security to celebrate the understanding that you can develop a capacity to encourage other people to make their life their life better would you stand to your feet all over this house in montgomeryville would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me i think our relationships need help I think the days of competition uh, and envy in our church should be behind us. First step, you're filled with the Spirit of God. Security, confidence comes in your life. That only happens when you submit yourself to Him. You submit yourself to Him. You're filled with the Spirit of God. Um, he gives you everything that you need. You stay focused on Him. In Him, you have confidence. That, that's how it works. In Him, you have a purpose. You don't wake up and worry about what everybody else is doing. You wake up and say, God, my life is yours. You can have, 
you can hold, you can push, you can open up doors, you can close doors. God, my life is in your hands. My future is yours. Starts there. Some of you, you've never known this love. You don't know Jesus. You've never asked him to be the Lord of your life. But you do know that everywhere around you, everything around you feels like a struggle, feels broken, feels strained. I've noticed it feels like in the world right now, like it's a constant race to find nothing. That's what it feels like. Like we're, we're a new news, science, something comes out every day. It feels like I'm, I'm on a, if I was in the world, I'd be constantly running, never getting rest. But I love the word of God. The Bible says I can build my life on the never changing, perfect word of God. I can build my relationship with him. I can build my relationship with my spouse and my parents. And I can build my relationship with those that are close to me, my friends, on the word of God. But it starts first with the name of Jesus. Friend, I love that song that we sang at the end. Third time we've sang it. I've been listening to it for a month. A third service. And man, every time that we talk about the name of Jesus, breaking addictions, healing marriages, setting people free, healing cancer. I know he can do it. I look around this room as I, I preach and I look at people that are a testimony of the power of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder if somebody's here in this room today. And you need to know that love. You need to have that forgiveness. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says if you would just call on his name, you would believe in him. So you say, what, 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 what does that mean? Well, me and you are sinners. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death and hell. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on his name shall be saved. For if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's not a work thing. It's not an improvement thing. It's a rest thing. I'm not going to run anymore. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I love this moment here in Montgomeryville, even online. I love, I love when the spirit of the Lord has worked. The word's been proclaimed people have the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to give you that chance in a second here. The Lord's working on your heart. You're going, man, I want a relationship with Jesus. I didn't even understand that fully. And I still don't, but I know I'm tired. I know I don't want to live my life the way I'm living it anymore. I, I, I'm tired of trying to make sense of things. I just want Jesus to come in. I'm ready for a change. Jesus come into my life. So I'm going to ask you a question as we close here in Montgomeryville side to side, front to back. I'm going to ask you if you have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you're following him. I'm going to ask you if you confess him as your Lord and Savior. And if you say no to those, but you're ready, you're ready to receive him. It's a gift. God finished it. The work on the cross, he's given it to you. You have to receive it. You're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to do one bold thing. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come forward. Everybody's eyes are closed. Everybody's heads are bowed. I can promise you they got as much junk and baggage as you do but you know my beginning is Jesus Christ I need a relationship with Jesus Christ I'm addicted I can't quit my marriage is falling apart I'm angry I'm bitter I feel lonely I feel lost I don't have a purpose listen answer to everything I just said is Jesus always only Jesus so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If I'm speaking to you right now, wherever you're at, and you say, hey, that's me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life with nobody looking around. Would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven in one bold confession? Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I want you to set me free. Jesus, I want you to forgive me. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me, Pastor. Jesus, come in to my life. 
If you're online right now, joining us, maybe you would just type in the comments right there. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm responding to the gospel. And as people are, we're going to give a few more seconds. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to pray all over this house. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've already done and what you're going to continue to do because your word never returns void. We thank you, Lord, that in you that we can be confident enough to be the type of friends that you've called us to be. That we're going to take this word. We're not just going to be hearers of your word. Uh, we're going to be doers. We're going to listen to what you say and we're going to do it. That's where change happens in our lives. And so we're going to apply this right now. There's conversations we need to have. There's celebrations we, we, we need to have. Lord, we, there's changes we need to make in our, in our spirit. Lord, uh, we need to humble ourselves in your presence. And we're grateful for that. But Lord, we're also thankful for those that are responding to the gospel right now. Lord, it's a simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I want you to forgive my sins and set me free. I give you my past, my present, and my future. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and Lord, I'm going to be filled with your presence. Lord, I'm going to be a changed person in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, one more time, let's shout amen at both of our campuses. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.